Hey guys, Pastor Bear here. Welcome to the podcast for Real Church. We meet every Sunday at 11.15 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sherpsburg. You can also check us out online at www.realchurchcoweta.com or jump on Facebook at Real Church Coweta. I hope you enjoy this week's message. I want to say something. I'll tell you, I wish it was uh, true for me, uh, just like that song says, that uh, I would uh, feel this joy in my heart uh, for giving God control. But the truth of the matter is, is that a lot of times when, when we are asked by God to give control, he has to take it with us kicking and screaming, and usually he has to drag us along, right? Um, a lot of times we want, to, um, we want our children to, uh, to uh, allow God to have control. We want our children to act in a certain way. And yet it's funny because a lot of us, we don't do the same thing as adults. It's really funny. And so that's my prayer for you today, that you would not only give God control, but you would do it with a sense of joy uh, in your heart. You would do it, not that he has to pull it and take it, but that, that you would do it willfully. And I want to give you a little secret here. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, a lot of times if you decide you don't want to give God control, he's going to put you in circumstances where he's going to have control whether or not you want him to or not. He, you're going to have to rely on him at some point in your life. We've been going through a series called Equipped. Lynn, can we bring up the topics that we've talked about at Equipped? Hey, listen, if you haven't, if you haven't uh, been here or you've missed a Sunday, we have an app uh, that you can get, Real Church Coweta. Look up that app. You can download these. And if also, if you... Uh, if you are on podcast, you do podcast, just subscribe to our podcast. You can get every one of these. They're about 25, 30 minutes long. All right. If you really need to go to sleep at night, you're, you're three in the morning, you can't go to sleep, throw in one of these podcasts, 10 minutes, you're out. All right. It'll be great. All right. We've talked about God's word. We've talked about how God's word has to be the center and how God's word has to have the, the last say. We've talked about the importance of taking a Sabbath and we've talked about engaging in the relationship with Jesus. These are all ways to have a Jesus-centered life. We've talked about serving others. We've talked about hearing the voice of God and how we hear the voice of God in the different ways that God speaks to us. We also talked about fasting and the importance of fasting and why fasting actually exists. We talked about being alert and being ready for the opportune times of Satan. What is that? It's when Satan, there's times in our lives, most of the time, a lot of times right before a huge win or right after a huge win, or there's opportune times that Jesus had to deal with and we have to deal with as well. We've talked about raising the white flag of our lives to God, which is what Jeremy just sang about. We talk, we've talked about having fellowship with others. We've talked about prayer and the process of actually letting go. And last week, like a total fool, I got a tennis racket and I acted like I was in a rock concert because I wanted to tell you that when I was younger, I wanted to be the center of everything. But that's not how it goes because God is the one that gets center stage. Now, we have two more lessons in this series. And usually what a pastor will do is, is he'll save the toughest lessons for last. And this is no exception. So the last two messages we're going to have are going to be a little bit tougher, maybe for you or me to hear. It's funny because they're the most simplistic of all the messages that I've spoke about. They're the most simplistic, but they're also the most difficult. Today, we are going to talk about a topic that a lot of us don't like. And the reason we don't like it is because right in the dead center of the topic is the word die. D-I-E. And no one wants to die. Right in the center 
is the word die. I'm talking about obedience. I'm talking about obedience to God, obedience to what God's word says, obedience to who God is, obedience to what he tells you to do, obedience, obedience, obedience. I want you to know something. In the, in the text of the scriptures, the word, and I want you to hear this, the word obedience and obey and trust are interchangeable, all right? They're interchangeable. A lot of times when you see the word trust, what it really means is obey, especially if you have a newer translation. They just kind of generalize things, but they literally are interchangeable. They are used interchangeably in the scriptures. And so I don't want to waste any time. I want to get right to what I feel like God's asked me to say today, and it's this. There are three things that we have to do to obey God. Three things. It's not rocket science. We're not talking about physics around here, all right? This is not, for me, Algebra 3, all right? Who needs three algebras, man? I just wanted one. One algebra, I passed it and moved on. And kids, listen, I know that they, the teacher always says, you'll use this later on in life. Not one time have I used algebra in my life that I know of. What are they? Here they are. The first one is this. Doing what God says. Now, let me say something. That is not some kind of huge, from the, from the, from the heavens, strike. Oh my gosh, that is so profound, Pastor Barry. Oh my gosh, this is the best teaching I've ever heard. Listen, from the time you were younger and you wanted the cookie and your mama didn't want you to have the cookie and you'd grown up on the counter to get the cookie and she smacked your hand away from the cookie, then you know what it means to do what someone else says. You know what it means. We're going to be reading from 1 Samuel today, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Here's what it says, and the the text will be on the back. It says this. It says, One day Samuel said to Saul, It was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people, Israel. Now listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation, men, women, children, babies, calves, goats, sheep, camels, and donkeys. So Saul mobilized his army at Telaim. There were 200,000 soldiers from Israel and 10,000 men from Judah. Then Saul said to his army in the town of, uh, uh, of the Amalekites and lay in wait in the valley. Saul sent this warning to the Kenites, move away from where the Amalekites are, live, Or you will die with them, for you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Canaanites packed up and left everything, and I would have too. Then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites um, from Hivala all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared a guy's life and kept the best of the sheep and goats and the cattle and the fat calves and the lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. And then then this is number 10. It says this, Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king. For he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord. He says, he cried out to the Lord all night. What, is, what in the world is going on here? So what is going on here? Okay, first, why would God destroy men, women, children, and everything else? Why would he do that? Well, let me tell you the history behind this. 
The Amalekites, they are from the lineage of Esau. All right? They're from the lineage of Esau. Not spiritual in any way. They're from the lineage of Esau. And I want you to know that from the moment, from the moment they began to be created, they harassed, messed with, fought against, constantly God's chosen people. He did. As a matter of fact, whenever they were trying to come into, they were trying to make their way into, uh, from Egypt into the promised land, it was the Amalekites that continued to bombard them constantly. They had been a sore on the head of the Israelite people for years and years and years and years and years. Now here's, here's what occurred. God came to Samuel and said, Samuel, I want you to tell Saul this. I want you to tell Saul to go. It's time for me. It's time for me to cash out. It's time for me to take care of this consistent problem that will not allow our nation to go forward. It's time to take care of these people. And here's what I want you to do. And he gave him strict instructions. I want you to do this and this and this and this and this. And you know what he did? He went and he did this and this, and he didn't do that, but he kept the king. And oh, by the way, he also kept all of the best stuff. Because, you know, why would he not keep the best calves and the best sheep and the best? Why would he not keep all that? So he kept all that thinking, oh, man, it'd be okay. There's another text down here, and this, is, this will show you the heart. This will show you the heart. Let's go up. I'm sorry that I ever made uh, Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved that he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him, get this, this is his attitude. Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to God. No, that's not what it says. Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to what God had done. No, no, that's not what it says either. Try it again. Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. To himself. You see, he had decided, you know what, I can take care of this myself. We've got 200,000 people rolling in. We've got all these armies. We've got all these people. We're going to destroy them. And heck, I'm not going to do anything with the king. I'm going to bring the king back. I will march him around as a trophy is what I'll do. I'll show everyone how great I am. As a matter of fact, not only that, all of these cats, listen, if it, was been, if it would have been today, they'd have marched in. They'd have taken all the Lamborghinis and they would have taken all the nice stuff. They would have taken all the nice cars and, you know, they would have taken all the nice furniture. I mean, they'd had moving trucks going. They'd had all the nice jewelry. They'd had everything and they were marching them right on back. And along the way, Saul said, you know what? I think I'm so great. I, got, I'm, I, I can do anything I want. I think I'm so great. I'm going to set up, I'm going to set up this monument to myself, to let everyone know what happened here. And God was displeased, and God became angry, and he said, I am so sorry that I ever allowed Saul to be king. What does this mean? Let me tell you what it means. I want you to hear this. Partial obedience is no obedience. I want you to get that again. Partial obedience is no obedience. You know why? Because partial obedience shows 
that we don't fully trust God. Partial obedience shows that we do not fully trust God. See, he he wanted to make sure that he had enough food for his people, so he took it from the people he destroyed. He wanted to make sure that he could tell everyone how great he is so he could continue to get the support. He was a politician. He wanted to continue to get the support. He wanted to make sure his standing with the people was good, and so he did not listen to what God said. In the book of Acts, chapter 5, there's another story of Ananias and Sapphira. And you guys probably all know who Ananias and Sapphira is because of the way they died. Ananias and Sapphira are people that in the New Testament, God told them, go and sell your plot of land and give every bit of it to the church. Okay, give everything to the church. And they went and sold the plot of land and they gave some of it to the church. And they came up before Peter and Peter said this, he said, is this everything? And they were like, yeah, I mean, it's probably a lot of money. Yeah, there you go, bro. How great are we? And Peter looked at him and said, no, it's not. And both of them at different times died immediately because of their disobedience. Partial obedience is not obedience at all. My question to you is, is what areas of your life do you have partial obedience to God? See, because obeying God means that you're doing exactly what he says. What areas of your life? In your finances? I don't know. Maybe in your work ethic? I don't know. We know what God says about work ethic. He says, listen, I want you to go to work and I want you to work like you're a follower of mine. I want you to represent me and work like you're a follower of mine. I want you to make sure that everyone knows you're a follower of mine and you're going to work so hard and you're going to be so compassionate and so empathetic. People are going to go, oh my gosh, I don't know what they got, but I want it. You're going to be a light wherever you are at work. Are you doing that or is it partial? Is it some? Is it a little bit? What about your area of faith? Listen, in order for us to obey God, we have to do what he says. Here's the next thing. We have to obey God by doing what he says, how he says to do it. Okay, how he says to do it. There's a story in the Old Testament about a king, Nahum. And Nahum had leprosy. He had all of these things in his life. He had everything you could ever ask for, but he had leprosy. And finally, finally, someone heard about it and said, you need to go and get healed. Go see the prophet. Go see Elisha the prophet. And Nahum took all of his people and started across the way. And finally they ended up with Elisha the prophet. And Elisha said this. He said, hey, from a distance, didn't even come out. Sent one of his servants out. Met them as they were walking up. Now this guy was powerful, man. He had everything. He thought he was going to be met with this, oh my goodness, I'm Elisha, and I want to heal you. And he thought it was going to be all this grandiose thing, this big, huge spectacle. No, that's not what happened. Elisha didn't even come out of the house. He sent one of his servants out. One of his servants says, hey, listen, uh, stop right there. Elisha says to go and dip yourself in the Jordan seven times. And he turned around and left. And Nahum was like, what? What are you talking about? One... Why didn't he come out? Two, I'm not going in that stinking Jordan River. It's nasty. Where I came from, there's rivers beautiful and everything. I could have bathed in those. 
I'm not going to do that. And one of his wise servants came up to him and said, hey, listen, if God asked you to do an easy thing, I mean, a hard thing, you'd have done it. If God asked you to do a hard thing, you would have done it. God's not asking you to do a hard thing. He's asking you to do an easy thing. And finally, he was convinced. And the scripture records that on the seventh time he dipped in and came up, he was healed of leprosy. Why did God want him to do it that way? Here's the most spiritual answer you'll ever hear. I don't know. And you don't either. Why does God want us to do certain things? I don't know. And you don't either. But God wants us to be obedient. And he wants us to be obedient by doing things how he says to do it. Listen, I am not very good at math, all right? Um, I'm just not very good at math. Uh, and so um, I, I, did pre- I did okay at math when I was in school. But I took a test one time. And I don't know how I did this, but I had figured out a really cool way to get the right answers. I didn't cheat that time. I didn't cheat, but I, I, just, I, I, I forget how the whole process went, but I had this major test. And I was, going to, I was going to write, and I literally did. I, I, I could see the answers. I was like, oh, that's the answer. Oh, that's the answer. And I was so happy because I'd never made 100 on a test, but I knew I'd got 100 on this test. I knew it. I knew it. And I got the test back four days later. And it appeared to me that the teacher, while she was grading my test, had actually cut herself on a pair of scissors because it was red all over. Red marks all over. And I remember sitting in class and I was like, what is this? And all of a sudden at the top in bold red letters, it said this. Show your work. And I was like, what kind of mess is that? I got the right answer. What does it matter how I got got the right? I got the right answer. That's not fair. This is a test. I'm being tested on whether the answer is right or wrong. And I went up and met with a teacher, and she says, listen, I'm going to let you take this again in a week, but I want you to show... All your answers are right, but I need you to show your answers. And I was like, I don't understand that. Why do you want me to show my... Why do you want me to show how I got it? Why do you want me to show my work? Why do I need to do that for and she said this. She said, Barry, what you don't understand and what I do understand is this, that math is a process. And I want to make sure that you're following the right process because even though you can get the right answers this way for this problem, in two weeks, you're going to have to use that same process for a much more difficult thing. And I needed you to follow along in the process to do the right things. I'm not just teaching you to get the right answers. I'm teaching you to do it the way that I'm asking you to do because in two or three weeks, it all builds on one another. And that's how it is at our faith too. It all builds on one another. God asks us to do something this certain way and we decide right there whether we're going to do it or not. I think about Peter in the boat. Peter was in the boat. They were tired from fishing. Jesus stands in his boat. He preaches. He gets done. He looks at Peter and says, Peter, go back out to the water. And he said, Jesus, we fished all night. I'm not. <laughs> Look, I appreciate it, man. Thanks, preacher boy. You take care of the sermons. 
I'll take care of the fishing. No, 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 Peter, listen, I don't want you to do it. I want you to go back out in the daytime. Now, let me tell you something about fishing in the daytime. If you've never been fishing in the daytime, fish usually bite in the early mornings and late in the evenings and sometimes throughout the night. But you fish in the middle of the day, and you're not going to catch anything but a sunburn. All right? And so he was like, I want you to go out there and let down your nets on the other side over there. Let down your nets. And he was like, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. And he went down and he let down his nets. And you guys know the story. The boat almost sank. The nets almost broke. It all was such a mess. Can I tell you guys something? You know what that was? That was Peter's first math problem. And he wanted to see how he was going to do. Because later on, he would ask him to do something else. He would say, Peter, I want you to be the rock. I want you to be the one that I used to start the church. I want you to be this. That's what he would do. God not only wants you to obey him and do what he says, he also wants you to do it the way he says to do it. And here's the final thing. He wants you to not only do it how, uh, what he says and how he says, but he wants you to do it when he says to do it. Do you know that the trip in the Old Testament, the trip from Egypt to the promised land, did you know how long that trip was walking it was around 11 days walking. 11 days walking. Do you know how long it took them to get to the promised land? 40 years. 40 years they wandered out in the desert. Can you imagine, think about this, can you imagine between here and Columbus, Georgia, walking around for 40 years can you imagine that? Can you imagine wandering around for 40 years? Well, why was that the case? Well, it was the case because God asked them specifically to do certain things, and they simply were not willing to do what God asked them to do when he asked them to do it. We see in the text of Jonah, too, Jonah's another, Jonah said, hey, he said, hey, go to Nineveh, and I want you to, when, I, when you go to Nineveh, I want you to tell them to repent. And Jonah said, I can't stand Nineveh. All right? I can't stand Nineveh. I don't want to go tell them to repent. I want them all to go to hell. That's what he said. That's what he thought. That's what I want. And he was like, well, no. And Jonah, you know what Jonah did? He went the opposite way. And he ended up as whale puke. (laughs) That's what happened. It's exactly what happened. He wants us to do it when, when he says to do it. You know, I've told this story before, but I'll I'll let you know this. I'm going to close with this. You know when God told me he wanted me to be a pastor? You know when that happened? I gave my life to Christ on February 18th, 1990. And God told me in April of 1990. I had been a, a, a follower of Christ for two months. He told me in April of 1990. I remember when it was. April of 1990, he said, I want you to be a pastor. I want you to tell people. I want you to work with students first. I want you to work with adults later, but I want you to be a pastor. Can I tell you guys something? I waited and waited and waited. And God was saying, no, you don't need to go to this school or that school. What you need to do is is you need to go to this particular school. And I didn't go. And I waited. And I waited. And I ended up cramming four years of school into nine. You guys ever done that? You know, four years of school crammed into nine. 
I did that, and I'm not kidding you right now. I could probably tell you better what school I didn't go to in Tennessee quicker than I could to tell you what school I did go to. Because, I, I mean, my transcripts, and you know whenever you have to send your transcripts, I had to take out a loan to send my transcripts. They're like 15 or 20 bucks a pop. It was ridiculous. But at the age of 34, after waiting 15 years, I finally said, all right, I'm done running. I'm not going to do anything else anymore. I'll be a pastor. And it wasn't because I didn't want to be a pastor. I'd always wanted to be a pastor. I was just scared. I was fearful. And I wasted 15 years of God's life in my life because I was scared and I was fearful to go and do what God asked me to do. And it was funny. I know I would like to end the story by telling you, and what happened was, was that God told me what I was going to do. I sent out resumes. I prayed about it, prayed over my resumes. A resume came back for Georgia. I took the position, and we all lived happily ever after. But that would be a lie. Let me tell you what really happened. What happened was, was that I did send out resumes, and I got a call from a church in Virginia. Virginia Beach, Virginia. And I got a call from a church in northern Alabama. I knew that Virginia Beach versus Alabama was a no-brainer. I trashed the, the Alabama one, and I responded to the Virginia Beach one. And the guy said, listen, I've read all your stuff. I've, I talked to him for over an hour on the phone. He said, listen, I want to fly you up. I said, let me pray about it. When he said, I want to fly you up, he might as well have punched me in the stomach. My stomach started churning. And I prayed about it. I didn't really. I just thought about it. I didn't pray about it. I didn't ask God anything. And I called that guy back two days later, and I said, hey, listen, not the right time for me right now. And that chapter closed. And the next Sunday, the next Sunday I went to church, and my pastor was such a real person. He was so genuine. I went to church, and I went down to the altar weeping. And I told him, I said, I think I've messed everything up. And I looked at him, and I was like, you know, Robert, I think I've messed everything up. I, I you know, I, I didn't go, and I don't know if God's going to bring me another opportunity. And he looks at me, and you know what he says? He may not. And I was like, well, thanks, dude. I'll go back and sit down. Thanks for the encouragement, Captain Happy. He said, he may not, but he looked at me and said, I don't want to lose you here, but I want to tell you something. Next time he, he rings your phone, you better answer. And I did answer, and I answered to come to a church in Georgia. And now all you sorry saps get to hear me every Sunday. He wants us to be obedient, not only to what he says to do, but he wants us to be obedient to how he says to do it and when he says to do it. One of the things that we can do, I don't know where you are in your life with Christ. You know, for a long time, people really pushed the notion that if you just simply come down front and you tell the preacher, I want to give my life to Jesus, and then the preacher prays with you that everything's all good and you're saved and you can go about your merry way and you don't have to do anything else, well, that's all bunk. That's not true. The truth of the matter is, is that that's the start of a great thing in your life. You come down, you accept Christ. Nowhere, listen, nowhere, nowhere do we see, do we see in Scripture where Jesus had people come down. Nowhere do we see that. They just started following him. 
That's what happens. Now, we've made it more formal today. We've made it much more formal here. We've got an altar. I'm here. You know, Connor will be here. You can come down front. But I want you to understand something. It's not about you coming down front. It's about the change in your heart. And I have no idea where you've done that or whether you've done that or not. But I want to tell you something. If you want to be obedient to God, the first thing God says, the first thing he says is follow my son. That's what he says. I want you to follow and listen to what my son says. That's the first thing. And you do that by deciding that you will joyfully, as as Jeremy sang about earlier, joyfully give your life over to him. And if you haven't done that, when we sing the song coming up, I want you to do that. The next thing is, is this though. We're going to do something in a second. It's going to be really cool. It's going to show you an example of obedience to God. After the first song we're going to sing, we're going to do a baptism. We get to do a baptism. We're going to, we're going to sing a song, and then I'm going, to, I'm going to leave and go back there and get ready. And then Jeremy's going to do another worship set and get our hearts prepared for what we're going to see. And then to close the service, we're going to get to see what an act of obedience is to God. I mean, only God could say, I want you to go and get in a swimming pool in front of a bunch of people and let some big ball-headed guy dunk you. But that's exactly what he wants us to do. And he wants us to do it because he wants us, he wants us to follow him. You know, I want you to, I mean, you may have thought of this. You may have never thought of this ever. You may have never, this may have never crossed your mind, but it does cross my mind. You are never more like Jesus and you're never following more closely to Jesus than getting baptized. Because that's the first thing that Jesus did whenever he was ready to begin his ministry. And that's what we're going to look at. So I'm going to ask the praise team to go ahead and start making their way up. And I'm going to tell you, if there's something on your heart, Connor and I are going to be down here. And I want to invite you to come and invite you to give your life over to Christ, to pray about things, to let let go of things. I tell you guys this all the time. Listen, don't leave here the same way you walked in. Man, don't pick up all your baggage that you carried in here and carry it back out with you and carry it around for another week. Leave it here at the altar. And I promise to throw it away for you. All right? I'll do that. Let me pray for you. Let's stand up, and I want to pray for you. And then Connor and I will be down front. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, of of what you're doing in our lives. Lord, I'm thankful for Aiden and Ari who are going to get baptized today. I'm so thankful for their commitment to you. I'm thankful for the fact that they are saying, you know what? I, uh, I want to be baptized. I'm scared. I'm nervous. It's weird. I, I don't know what to expect, but I want to follow Jesus and do what he says. Let us all be people that do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Connor and I will be down here. You guys join me. Let's worship. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Real Church Coweta. If you have any questions or if you would like to contact us at Real Church, please go to our website at www.realchurchcoweta.com and click on the Contact Us tab. We invite you to join us on Sunday at 11.15 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. Also, check out our website or Facebook page for directions. Until next time, God bless, and remember to love God, love others, and live real.